welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Well, we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter number four here this morning. And uh, for all the children that are here uh, this morning, I got a special task for you, uh, so that way you can listen very good. Um, we're going to go through, and we're going to look at some uh, specific words here that uh, Paul is going to talk about, and uh, as we go through them, if you can write down uh, one of the examples Uh, from scripture that I'm going to give of how Paul made this word uh, applied to his life. And I'll give you the words up front so that way you know what they are, okay? Uh, The words that uh, we're going to look at hopefully today is uh, going to be true. The other word is going to be honorable. Third word is going to be just. And the fourth word is going to be pure. So as we go through and you hear those words and write down one example that I'll give as we go through of how Paul applied those words to his life. You just got to give me one. And if you can write those down, I'll have uh, something special for you at the end. Okay? I think that'd be good. But uh, we've been looking here at this passage here in Philippians 4. And uh, we've seen that Paul's been given some of these commands here, uh, and the main one is to rejoice always, to always be rejoicing. And from that, I told you that the context of rejoicing always has to deal with our circumstances of, of uh, how he tells us that we're not supposed to be anxious about anything, but rather we're supposed to be praying about everything. And uh, then it even goes a little bit further, talking about uh, how uh, we're supposed to be letting our patience, our reasonable, be known unto all men. And then, as we're going to look at here uh, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about these things that we're supposed to be uh, thinking about. And if you can remember last week, uh, we talked about uh, how our mind works and the fact that uh, what we uh, do reveals how we are thinking. So how we are acting in life, uh, our manner of life, our conduct in life really reveals uh, what we do uh, think. And so let's read our text here again in uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. And that way we can get the, the context of this again. So he says here, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And uh, if you can remember what we talked a little bit about last week, 
Paul's command here of thinking on these things wasn't just some type of intellectual exercise, like going like, okay, uh, true, 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 true. I'm going to just repeat the word true, or I'm going to repeat the word uh, uh, commendable or uh, purity. He's not talking about that. He's saying you have to make the connection of what the Word of God teaches and what the Word of God says and apply those things to your life. We're not just living over here separate from the word of God. The word of God has to be in our life. It has to be controlling uh, what we think and what we do, how we act. And that's what Paul is really trying to stress here. And so this week, we're going to cover these things that we're to be thinking about. And I really just want to set some meat out on the table for you and uh, some things just for you to kind of chew on and really see how Paul actually lived these things out in the circumstances in his own life. I mean, isn't that where we find ourselves as well? Uh, all of us here, we live in this sin-cursed world, and we find ourselves in many circumstances that cause us to be anxious. We find circumstances where it finds that we're uh, hard to, to deal with life. Paul found himself in those same circumstances. How did he live above those? How was he able to be content in whatever situation that he found himself in? Well, he applied these things to his life. And he's saying, the things that I have learned, the things I've told you, I've been an example of this, and I want you to do the very exact same thing. And, uh, you know, the world we live in does not think the way the Bible says that we think and act. Instead of truth, they are deceived by lies and half-truths. Um, they freely lie themselves. Instead of honor, they contemplate things that are shameful and often practice them. Instead of righteousness, they ponder and practice wickedness. Instead of purity, it is filthiness. Instead of what is lovely, they reflect on the ugliness of their selfish lust. Instead of things of good reputation, they consider it just as well dwell on things of bad reputation. Instead of excellence and virtue, it is pondering what is immoral. Instead of things worthy of praise before God, they fill their depraved minds and give hearty approval to practices opposite of what God commands. Just like what we see in Romans 1.32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so it's very important that we think biblically, apply biblical truth to our mind because the world is so opposite of what God commands us uh, to do and to live. And so if you are of Christ, then your mindset needs to be different from the world. If you are of Christ, you need to set your mind and to dwell on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good report, things that are virtuous and praiseworthy. And then you need to act accordingly to that. So actually applying what scripture says to our life so that way we can live biblically. And so this is what uh, I would like for you to take away with you today. It's really a question. Do I think biblically? Do I think biblically? Let's take our notice of our few things that we're going to look at about these things. Think about these things. First of all, whatever is true. Whatever is true. Our text here says, finally, brothers, whatever is true. The word here literally means not hidden. 
It's unconcealed, hence something free from deception and conforms to the facts of reality. Sad to say, but we live in a culture today that does not want to regard truth. They want to live in some sort of a fantasy world. You know, um, I'm actually a 45-year-old man. That's not true. I'm actually 38, right? We, we live in this culture today where people want to distort reality and distort truth and not actually face the reality of what is true. There is truth. All truth comes from God. And so here, Paul tells us, he says that we need to be thinking about things that are true. Christians are to love the truth. They are to speak the truth and live in truth. Ephesians 4, 24 and 25 says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Can you distinguish truth from error? As a Christian, you are called to do that. You, are able, you should be able to see what is in error and what is in truth. And we should have the ability to know this is wrong, this is in error, and this is right, and this is truth. Sad to say, but there are many Christians who go along with air because they do not seek out truth. We just kind of take in whatever the world is telling us, and we're not filtering it through with truth. Our minds are not set on truth. We don't spend time in the word. And so we take in air. That's why it's very important that we think on these things, that we are thinking about truth. We should be training ourselves to be diligent to search out the truth, and that will help you in every area of your life. So what is true? Well, truth conforms to the facts of reality and remains the same throughout eternity. Two plus two is what? That will never change. <laughs> All right. That never changes. Why? Because God is a God of order. God is a God of truth. He has set these things in all of eternity. They do not change. The philosophy of men, the religions they have created, man's pseudoscience which has denied the creator and left man to have hope only in himself, do not do this. They are not true. Jesus said he is the truth in John 14, 6. He said thy word is true in John 17, 17. Jesus and the Bible are the only sources of truth. We need to have a thought life filled with God's word. We need to be thinking on truth, think on the scriptures. So how is truth seen in Paul's life? Well, truth was foundational in everything that Paul did. Even in his ignorance prior to his conversion, Paul was zealous for his understanding of the Old Testament. When Jesus revealed himself to Paul that we read about in Acts chapter number 9, Paul was quickly obedient to Christ. How zealous are you for truth? Or is it just kind of a take it or leave it type thing? Paul was very zealous for truth. 
Paul was very quickly to, to obey the truth that God was giving him and how it revealed to him. How quickly will you yield yourself to be obedient to truth as God reveals it to you? You see, truth was also Paul's first line of defense. We read in Ephesians 6, 14, the very first thing that he talks about as being a soldier going into spiritual battle, we are to be buckling on what? The belt of truth. That's the very first line of defense, the truth. And so we got to have it. If we don't have truth, we're unable to stand firm in the Lord against the schemes of the devil. When Paul was arrested in Acts chapter 22, and then he was taken before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 23, we read about him making his defense on truth of his hope in Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 6, I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. In other words, he was standing on truth and he's saying, I'm being held on trial because of what I believe the truth about that Christ has resurrected from the dead and how it brings about hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul defends his apostleship by laying out the truth of his love for them, his qualifications as an apostle, and his actions that prove his claims. Is truth your defense? Do you hold on to truth? Do you think about truth? What do you do, however, when the truth would condemn you instead of defend you? All of us in here, I would dare to say that we have seen people lie or tell a half-truth to get out of trouble. I've done that. I'm sure you maybe have as well. I can remember growing up, uh, this was probably about early 90s, my parents, they bought a, what was a new to them car, it was a used car. It was a 1988 Chrysler K. Okay. How many of you remember Chrysler Ks? Okay, a few. So it was red. And I think my parents paid about 400 bucks for this thing, okay? It was used car. And uh, they had it. I remember my dad brought it home uh, for Christmas. My mom was so excited to get this thing. And we had it. Then we moved. We moved up to her house. And I was probably about, I don't know, six, seven years old. I got this crazy idea. I was outside playing around by the car. And I found a nail. And I decided to scratch my name on the back quarter panel of my parents' car. So here's my dad. He comes out there, and I think he was going to wash the car, and he's washing. He goes, that kid, he wrote his name in our car. So he comes up to me, and he says, why did you write your name in the car? And I said, I didn't do that. <laughs> He goes, oh, it must have been some other Mike. <laughs> Needless to say, it was not a good afternoon. <laughs> but we lie to avoid getting in trouble. And here, Paul, we find also he was put in a similar type of, of situation. In Acts chapter 23, Paul began his defense to the Sanhedrin, the high priest Ananias, commanding those standing beside Paul to strike him on the mouth. And Paul responded in this way, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law, order me to be struck? 
You see, Paul was righteously indignant both at the breaking of the law by those who were supposed to be upholding it and the personal injustice done to himself. And I would venture to say that all of us recognize not only the justness of Paul's response in this, but would have also done the same thing. There was only one problem, however, with all of this. A bystander informed Paul, do you revile God's high priest? And see, while we might think that the guy was getting what he deserved, Paul went back to the scriptures for his foundation of truth and instead said this, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people, quoting from Exodus 22:28. And even though Ananias was committing some injustice there, we find that Paul not only admitted his wrong, but quoted the specific command of God he had invertedly violated as well. And so the pursuit of truth in our life requires us to be humble enough to admit even when we are wrong. See, truth also marked the way that Paul sought to respond to other people. Turn with me back over to Ephesians chapter number four. And I want to show you some of these verses here because Paul says, I live these things out. This is what I did in my life. In Ephesians 4, look at verse number 25. Paul talks about putting away falsehood, putting on the new man. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And we go back to verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul even says a few verses even before that in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so Christians, this was Paul's response, we are to be growing up in Christ, pursuing truth, acknowledging truth, clinging on to truth. And this was Paul's response throughout Acts and even all of the epistles. He spoke the truth to others, but he tempered it always with love. Truth was Paul's foundation. He pursued the truth. He defended himself with truth. He even yielded to truth. He spoke the truth. He lived out the truth. Are you following that example in your life as well? Do you pursue after truth? Paul did. And he says, I'm a living example of this. He says, I want you to do this as well. Think on these things. Pursue truth. Are you marked by truth? If not, we need to set aside the lies and the falsehood that do mark our lives and instead follow Christ, who is the truth, and learn and obey God's word, which is truth. So whatever is true. Here's the second thing. Whatever is honorable, This word honorable simply means to be honest, noble meaning to revere, to worship. This is ultimately related to God's honor and his glory, but it also includes that which is honored and respected because of its good character. Those things of an honorable character correspond to being true. What is honorable? Well, Psalms 15 reminds us that honor was due to those who fear the Lord. That is why it is one of the qualities that is to be existing in elders, deacons, and older men, 1 Timothy 3.8 and verse number 11, and also Titus 2.2. So how is this virtue seen in Paul's life? Well, one way is that he was always being honest in his business dealings with other people. 
In 1 Thessalonians 4.12, he has this to say. He encourages believers to behave properly towards outsiders. And Paul lived that way himself. Earlier in 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, he had reminded him this. He says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Would those you do business with say the same about you? Would they say that you are honorable in how you conduct and live your life? Remember, what we do in life reveals how we think. And so Paul is saying here, and he's stressing, we need to be honorable. We need to be thinking about these things. There needs to be the application of that in our own life. Another way Paul lived uh, to be being honorable was by taking precaution to have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That's in 2 Corinthians 8, 21. And this matched his commitment also expressed in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, was he said, to do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. There's no doubt that our nation today has slid into a cesspool of iniquity. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you just look around. What's going on today? Horrible, horrible stuff. What should we be doing as Christians? Being honorable. We don't go along with the tide. <laughs> we go against the tide. We have to be honorable. Examine your own life. Does it bring honor to yourself, your family, your friends, your associates, your God? Let's go deeper with this. If other people could read your mind, would you be respected for the noble character of your thoughts? Does our life match up with our profession? Think on these things. He's saying you need to be honorable. Does our mind dwell on the things of God or the things of this earth? Do you think about what is worthy of adoration or the common stuff of this life? Think on those things that bring honor and glory to God and then do them. So he says, whatever is honorable. Here's the third thing, whatever is just. This is whatever is righteous, just. This refers to that which duty demands or what is right, correct to do, especially in reference to keeping God's laws. The only one who is truly right is God himself. That's it. He's the only one. And anything else that can be considered right is right because it is in some way a reflection of God's own righteousness. How is this virtue seen in Paul's life? Well, in living honorably, Paul also lived justly or rightly. He strove to live with a clean conscience by being obedient to God. Prior to being a Christian, Paul thought he could be righteous through his own efforts. Isaiah 64, 6 is a good reminder to all of us. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and all our iniquities like the wind 
take us away. But self-righteousness is very blinding to the truth. You see, when the depths of his own sin was revealed to Paul and that he could only be made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, Paul rejoiced. Because if you can remember Paul's words in Philippians 3, 8, and 9, he says to me, uh, excuse me, Philippians 3, 8, and 9, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, it's so important for us to remember what the gospel actually teaches None of us in here are righteous. Without God, you are not righteous. We don't go to heaven because we did some good things or we came to church or we gave some money here, we did a good deed for this person. The only reason that we have any hope of salvation, of having our sins forgiven, is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The fact that he took our sin on the cross and paid our debt. That's the only hope that we have. Paul understood that his positional righteousness in Christ is the result of practical righteousness, of becoming Christ-like in his holiness. This is our sanctification. And so if we are to be thinking on these things then we need to be seeing what does the word of God say about this stuff and dwell upon it, apply it to our life. Not just kind of throw it over to the side and say, well, I'll just kind of keep that over there kind of separate from what I'm doing. We have to apply the scriptures and the word of God to our life. So how are you doing at that? You know, Paul, Paul talked about pressing on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How are we doing with that? Are we pressing forward or have we just kind of stopped in our growth process? We need to continue to be moving forward for Christ. And we do that as we think on these things, dwelling on these things and applying these things to our lives. Have we gotten sidetracked by the things of this world? Those things can seem so alluring to our, our, our eyes and our pride of life and our, our flesh. Have we gotten sidetracked? We need to get back on track and continue pursuing after Christ, thinking on these things. Are you setting your sights and your goals on the things that will help you become more like Jesus? Have you developed relationships with others for accountability and mutual encouragement? Are you following Paul's example in becoming more like Jesus Christ so that you can say with him to his other, as he did with others in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me just as I also am an imitator of Christ. We need to be thinking about these things. So whatever is just. Here's the last one we're going to look at here this morning. Whatever is pure. This word here is related to the word for holy and refers to that which has been separated out. It's been separated for a certain purpose. So is, and it is without impurities, hence pure. 
It is free from every fault and it's unpolluted by sin. James chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 reminds us, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And so he makes a comparison of the, the, the earthly wisdom, which is sensual and it's devilish, compared to the heavenly wisdom that is pure. This word pure is often used to describe those who are free from carnality and immorality, and it is translated as chaste, and it is a quality that every Christian is to be developing in their life. I don't know why is it that we put up with carnality in Christian living. Why is that okay? Why is it okay to be a carnal Christian? That's not okay. That's not the way that Christ has called us to live. Christ has paid the sin debt on the cross for our sins. Every wicked and vile deed that we have ever committed, Christ paid for it all. And he calls us to live a pure life. Titus chapter 2.11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. How is this virtue seen in Paul's life? Well, as we've already seen, it certainly demonstrates itself in Paul's effort to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men, as he said in Acts 24, 16. It is also seen in his actions that correspond to this effort. Let's turn over to the book of 1 Timothy, and I want to show you some of these things here, what he talks about being pure. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12 Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers in example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and what? In purity. Timothy knew Paul too well for him to get away with this command if it was not true in his own life first. Purity was one of the qualities by which Paul commended himself as a servant of God to the Corinthian church. They also knew Paul well, and if this was not true in his life. Paul says, this is true. I have done this. I've done the work. He says, I've lived this way, and I'm commanding you to live this way. You can live this way. Why? Because God never gives us a command that we cannot follow. All of us can be pure. All of us can think pure. All of us can strive for purity. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. Look what Paul commands Timothy here. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor, part, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself, what? Pure. 
This is what Paul did himself among the ways in which Timothy was to avoid sin and to keep pure was by notice these things. Look in chapter 6, verse number 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He told him to be content and free from the love of money in uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through uh, 10. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, which these will be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so he says, I want you to be pure in these areas. He tells them even to be pure by pursuing righteousness and godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness in verse number 11. And then we are to be keeping God's commandments by being pure in verse number 14. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he also told him to flee youthful lust, to be reign pure. And so it's very important that we think on these things. Is it not that purity is instantaneous in the Christian life? You see, we are to be pursuing after purity. When you become a follower of Jesus, things just don't completely change totally. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And as we grow in our sanctification, our following after Jesus Christ, we're putting off the old, we're putting on the new. And as we're growing, these things that are coming into our lives, and we start thinking biblically about them, we say, ah, you know what? That does not line up with Scripture. That's not the way I should be behaving. That's not the way I should be thinking. And so what do we do? We change our thinking. We alter our behavior. And we can do it because we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And he makes the change possible. So we are supposed to be pursuing after purity. In 1 John 3, 3, it gives us the reason for pursuing purity. And in reference to Jesus' return, it says that everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Does that pursuit mark your life? Do you pursue after purity? What are you allowing to influence your thought life? You see, if you are of Christ, your mindset needs to be different from that of the world. Consider this as a simple means to evaluate if you are thinking about the things that you should. Revelation chapter 2 verse 23 says that God searches the minds and the hearts. God knows what you are thinking and you cannot fool him. So ask yourself, if God is pleased with what you think about. If we could somehow put a projection of our minds and what we think about here on the big screen. Would we be in horror of what was there? We have to change our thinking. We have to pursue after purity. We have to think on these things. 
And Paul commands us to do that. And so if you and I are ashamed about what we think about, then we need to put into practice the commands of Scripture. We need to set aside our old ways, renew our mind, and set it to think about what is proper. Let me close with this last portion of Scripture. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, has this to say. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. We have to be pursuing the word of God and applying its teachings to our life. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.